Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. But on the inside, there's nothing that's really connecting with God. At all in our current culture, we could say that they come to the church, they act like Christians, they even have the language down, they speak Christianese really well, but yet there's nothing in their life that ever really connects with God. Jesus came that we might have a connection with God, not simply comply with the rules and the regs. Jesus wants a relationship. Choosing fruit can be quite the trick. Often an apple might look really red and juicy on the outside, but you open it up to a rotten core or a banana that looks okay at the store, but once at home, it's squishy and brown on the inside. Today, Pastor David will teach that it's often the same with us. We might play the part really well. We go to church, we go to Bible study, and we might even host a small group. When on the inside, we are a complete mess, full of things that keep us from the relationship that Christ really desires for us. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, strange happenings. are in Luke chapter 5, as I said. We invite you to turn there with us this morning. But before we get into that, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been to a church service to where there was standing room only? I mean, every seat was filled. There was, wasn't room anywhere uh, even to hardly get into the doors because of the amount of people that were there. There was such an excitement about what was happening, about what was going on. There were so many people present that you, you had to get there almost an hour or so early uh, just to be able to get a seat. Can you imagine people being that excited about what is going to happen that they wanted to be there so bad that they pressed into the building in such a powerful way. They hungered so much for the Word of God, they wanted to know what God had to say to them at that point and at that time. As Jesus' ministry continues on, we're going to find out that the crowd just continued to, to press in, press in, press in to him continually. Multitudes of people coming in to hear and to listen, to, to try and gain from what he's saying and from what he's doing. As we've spoken before, there were those that came to his teachings and showed up at his ministry because they liked the free meal program or they liked the free medical program. Hey, just come to Jesus. He'll heal you from all of your diseases. There were some that came, though, I honestly believe, 
because they were connecting with what he was saying and that they understood that this man was speaking the very words of God to them and it was impacting their lives. I believe that they were coming because no one had ever spoken like this man. No one had ever touched their lives. No one had ever spoken into their lives the way that Jesus had. And yet still, among that number, those that had come just for what they could in a physical way gain from it, rather because of the meals that he served, uh, feeding the thousands or the healings that he gave, or those that honestly came to receive the message, there was also another group that was there. That was the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious rulers of the day that also now began following Jesus and listening intently to every word that he said, not because they wanted to glean from him something new and fresh about God. No, they were looking for something that they could catch him at, that they could catch him at for for heresy or, or blasphemy, some way that they could bring some kind of accusation against Jesus to knock down his popularity or to bring charges against him. This morning, as we look in Luke chapter 5, we begin in verse 17. We see another huge crowd, just as we saw earlier, like the huge crowd that was on the shores of Galilee. Remember where Jesus had to push out away from the shore while he was in a boat? Well, now he's in a house, and we're going to find out that while he's in the house, the crowds got so intense and so full that people couldn't even make it in to see Jesus. Listen to this as we begin reading Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now, before we get into the story of these guys letting the, their friend down through the roof, when we look at this whole crowd that's before Jesus, the diversity that I spoke about just a moment ago, there's an interesting thing that Luke speaks to us here. Luke brings out the fact that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And personally, I believe that that's much more than just the physical ailments of all the people that were there. But I believe also it spoke about those that suffered from spiritual or religious afflictions and sicknesses. The Pharisees needed to be healed of their religious sickness. And I believe that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. But the Pharisees didn't hear that. They didn't see that. It's Mark in his gospel record that speaks to us and tells us that it was in Capernaum where he was at. And he was in the house. And whenever it speaks that about being in the house, the understanding is that it's in Simon Peter's house. If Galilee was the main area of his primary ministry years, of those three and a half years of his ministry time, Galilee being the main area of, and, and focus of all of his teachings... And while in Galilee, the city of Capernaum being pretty much his 
home base there in that region of Galilee, while he was in Capernaum, the house of Simon Peter was pretty much his official office place there in Simon Peter's house. And so as he comes back to Capernaum, he enters into Peter's house, the people hear about it, and once again they begin to press in and around the house, and along with these people who desire to hear from Jesus is also these Pharisees and teachers of the law. And they come listening to every word. They come watching every action. And again, not to learn of the kingdom of God, not to give glory to God for the healings, but to look for those words and those actions that would lead to these accusations and these charges. It's interesting for, I think, for any pastor or any Bible study teacher. If you've ever led a Bible study or, or had a chance to speak to people, you know how interesting it is to look out on the crowd and you see people, literally, you can almost see it in their eyes, their brains and everything is leaning forward. They, they want to hear what's going on. When you come in and you're coming in with an anticipation, with an excitement, with a hunger to hear. And I believe that that's what was going on here in this place. The place was packed. And along with those that wanted to hear for a positive reason were these Pharisees. These Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day for Judaism. And yet we find that in the reality, they were more concerned about this outward adherence to the law than they were about any kind of a true relationship with God Almighty. Even their name, Pharisee, it means the separated ones. Now on a positive end, that would have meant that they're separated from the things of the world. But in a practical way, we find out that the Pharisees are the ones, they separated themselves from everybody. And as a matter of fact, if you don't live the way that I live, then God must not be pleased with you. You need to follow my example to the point that I've reached perfection or I'm following all the law. And that's how they judged people. They judged people on that outward appearance. We look at these guys and we think, these are the very ones that Jesus spoke to. He says, you're nothing but a bunch of whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. You look really good on the outside, but on the inside, there's nothing that's really connecting with God at all. In our current culture, we could say that they come to the church, they act like Christians, they even have the language down, they speak Christianese really well, but yet there's nothing in their life that ever really connects with God. Jesus came that we might have a connection with God, not simply comply with the rules and the regs. Jesus wants a relationship. He came that we might have relationship. I think back to the early days of the Calvary Chapel movement, and no, this isn't a message about the Calvary Chapel movement, but I love what we saw there in the, the whole fact that as Chuck Smith and Kay Smith, it, back in the 1960s and the, in the 70s, began ministering to these beach kids and to these hippies and to these drug addicts. They would come to his church, and, and, and as they would filter in, they'd come right off the beach sometimes. They would smell like they've been right off the beach sometimes. And they, they would look like they'd been right off the beach. And some of them were still high. I mean, they'd, they'd been either drinking and partying all night or they were uh, still taking drugs and they were coming in. And yet they were coming in and they were sitting and they were listening to the simple 
teaching of God's word, and lives were being changed. The power of God was touching these young men and these young women. And it's interesting that the leadership, the elders of that church and the trustees, they, they got a little concerned. And they came to Chuck and says, hey, all these kids coming in, they're, they're filthy, their feet are dirty, they're messing up all the carpet. We need to do something about this. And Chuck says, fine, take the carpet out. Take the carpet out, because at least they're coming in and they're hearing the word. And it's the word of God that's going to touch their lives. These Pharisees, oh, that whole thought, that whole attitude, hearing the very word of God coming from God in human flesh, and rather than receiving the truth, looking for a way to shut it down, to close it off. Phariseeism looks on the outside and judges by standards that no man can keep. Phariseeism is, in essence, the building up of self and self-works over the grace and the mercy of God who saves us. Phariseeism looks to condemn where Christ came to redeem And as Jesus taught the multitudes that day, Luke tells us there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, and they were listening to every word. And I find it interesting, that point where it says, and there was power of the Lord was present to heal them. Power of the Lord was present to heal them, to to heal even these Pharisees, and yet they wouldn't listen. The power of the Lord is always available to heal. There's no doubt about that. But the problem is, is there needs to be receptive vessels for that. There needs to be vessels that are willing to receive what God desires to pour into our life. And it would appear that at this time, at this event, the Spirit of the Lord was going to be moving powerfully. That supernatural work of Almighty God was going to move that day, and some were going to be blessed by it. But at the same time, there were others that were going to get very upset about the whole thing. And while the crowds were pressed in and around the house, verse 18 tells us that, Behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now, we don't know how long this particular individual had been paralyzed. We don't know the reason for his being paralyzed at all. The Gospels don't share that with us. It's Mark that tells us that it's four men that bring this friend again to come to Jesus. And as they come to the house, they realize that they are way too late to get front row seats that meeting. The crowd was so large, it spilled out even into the courtyard. Now, the houses of that day were normally and commonly built with a flat roof with an exterior staircase so that at any time during the year, if it's pleasant, you could actually go up and sleep on the roof, or you could go up and visit on the roof. Uh, A normal thing to have people walking around on the roof, Uh, again, because of the way that they were built. Undoubtedly, these four men used that exterior staircase to hoist their friend up on the roof. And again, it's Mark in his gospel that, that gives us some of the particulars here. 
Mark tells us that they uncovered the roof where Jesus was. And I can just imagine that, that as they came up, they could kind of see through, well, he's about 20 feet inside the house. So we go up on the stairs and, well, it, it ought to be somewhere right around in, in this area here. They knew where Jesus was. And then Mark goes on and says, so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now, you've got to stop and ask yourself at this point, whose idea was this? To rip up some other man's roof in order to let their friend down. Put yourself in Simon Peter's place. This is my house. Jesus is in my house. This is a wonderful thing. And I'm sitting here and I'm listening to the teachings of Jesus, and I've got a front row seat because I've been hanging with Jesus all this time. And I'm right there, right next to him, or right in front of him as he's teaching. And suddenly I hear someone walking on my roof. Well, that's a normal kind of a thing. Probably the kids up there playing around on the roof while we're in here teaching. And all of a sudden I start hearing this noise. What in the world? No- what are those kids doing up there? And then suddenly dust and Debris starts falling down and you're looking up. No longer are you paying attention to Jesus. You're wondering what in the world is going on on your roof. And suddenly smaller than dust and small particles, suddenly bits and pieces of your roof start coming down and falling down in front of you. I believe at that moment, Jesus' teaching probably stopped because now pieces of roof are breaking through and falling and daylight is showing through where you didn't have one of those skylight things at all. And suddenly now you can see the sky coming through and the hole keeps getting bigger and you see faces of individuals peeking probably over the side to see exactly where they're at. They continue to dig and then suddenly they start dropping down some big article. What in the world is going on? All of the people that were pressed into that house, they're not paying attention to Jesus. Jesus anymore. Number one, I believe that Jesus probably stopped teaching. I believe that there was probably a smile on his face as he understood what was going on, but no one else did. Suddenly that large object being dropped could be recognized. That's a man on a a blanket or a pallet or a mat that's being lowered by someone up on my roof. As I look up there, there's four faces probably looking over now as they brought their friend down and laid him literally at the feet of Jesus. These four men, they were intent on what they were doing. These four men, they, they, they had a tenacity about them. They had a persistence about them. They wanted to bring their friend to Jesus, and they weren't going to let any kind of barrier keep them from bringing him and laying him at the feet of Jesus. It was their passion to bring this man to Jesus. They believed that if they were just able to bring their friend to Jesus, that Jesus would then take care of the rest. And right there could be the center of the rest of the entire message. The love and the passion that you and I need to have to bring friends, families, co-workers, neighbors, to introduce them to Jesus. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have eternity in your heart. But if you truly know Christ as your Savior, and if you know anything about the Word of God, you know that those who don't have Christ, that setting before them is an eternity separated from the presence of God, and as the Word of God declares, an everlasting hell. And as a matter of fact, beloved, Jesus spoke more about hell in the Gospels than he spoke about heaven. How intent, how purposeful, how passionate, how much persistence do you have in introducing 
friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, those that you love and you care about, to the presence of Jesus. It's not your place to save them. No, you don't save anybody. Praise God for that, right? It'd be a temporary thing at best. Our responsibility is to introduce them to your friend, to introduce them to Jesus. Pastor, I don't, I, I don't have much scripture memorized. I really don't know exactly how to do that. How easy and how simple it is for you to just say, Arnold, you know, I, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know that in my life, years ago, someone introduced me to Jesus Christ. His story is in the Bible, Arnold, and I don't, I don't know if you've ever taken the time to read it, but I know from my reading and from my listening to what the Bible says is that Christ died, and in his death, he was crucified. He was nailed on a cross. And the Bible says that because he was without sin, God determined that his death would be the payment for my sin. I don't understand how all that works but I trust what God's Word says. Have you ever read about Jesus? Have you ever considered the claims of Jesus? You see, in reality, you can share what's happened to you without ever quoting a single verse. Now, it's good if you can quote verses. I believe that it's powerful when you quote verses because, again, the Word of God will not return void. But don't use that as a roadblock of saying, well, I can't really share because I don't know any verses. Well, number one, learn verses. But number two, in the process of learning, you can still share what's happened in your life with someone that it hasn't happened in. That's if it's actually happened in your life. Did you get churched or did you get born again? You see, there's a lot of people that come to church on a regular basis that they got churched but have never truly been born again. If you know Christ as your Savior, then you've got a story to tell. You've got hope within you that that neighbor or that friend or that loved one does not have. And just in a simple, casual, easy way of bringing that one to Jesus. These guys knew that they couldn't heal their friend, but they had faith that Jesus would be able to do something. And so with everything that they had, they gathered this brother up, carried him to that house, then in the disappointment, sorry, sold out, you'll have to wait till the next showing. They went back home and said, well, we'll do it again later. No, that's not what they did. They looked for whatever opportunity they could to persist, to continue, to press on, to introduce that one to Jesus. Climbed upon the roof, tore the roof apart, brought him to Jesus. To bring someone to Jesus or to introduce someone to Jesus, you also need to know this. It doesn't guarantee the results. You can share who Christ is with a multitude of people, and they will not receive it. It doesn't guarantee the results, but you know what? It's not your responsibility. Your responsibility as a believer is to share what's going on in your life with others. Luke tells us here in verse 20, he says that when Jesus saw their faith, and I believe that's the faith of all of the men, then he said to them, said to him, the, the man on the mat, he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I'm not sure what these men expected this rabbi to say to their friend as they went through all of this trouble to bring him up on the, on the roof, tear the roof apart, lower him down. I'm not sure what they expected to hear, but I believe that that probably caught them by surprise. 
They were probably wanting Jesus, first of all, to say, hey, you're healed, get up and walk. But Jesus said something really peculiar here. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the word that he spoke suddenly brought this whole situation into a whole other realm, the realm of the spiritual rather than just the physical. Was it this man's sin that brought this particular calamity into his life? We don't know for sure, but we do know that Adam's sin brought death into the world. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.